You're listening to East Leeds Community Radio. Music. Writing. Reviews. Debate. Comedy. Plays. Live events. Interviews. Quizzes. Sports. Chatting. Food. Poetry. Offer mics. Freedom to create. From the people to the people. It's radio, but so much more. East Leeds Community Radio. Hello. Natalie Quatermass. I'm Henry Raby. And together we are Vandal Factory. And we have this wonderful podcast with you lovely listeners where we talk about arts and activism and the beautiful moments that happen when the two things come together. This is episode 20. Wow. And it is December 2023. Uh, God, we're coming towards the end of a very long year. But we're, we're sat in the living room. Yeah. And uh, Natalie got me some dinosaur Christmas lights with little woolen hats on. Yeah. Uh, shall I go put them on? Yes, go on, Henry. Make us feel festive. Oh, oh the oh. little T-Rexes are lighting up. <laughs> there you go. That's better. Yeah, because um, as we all know, dinosaurs celebrated Christmas. Yes, yes. absolutely. Um, with Santa hats. <laughs> um, if... If you are a regular listener, then you will know that Henry and I like to start off every podcast asking, how is your hope? How is your anger? Because these are the two fuels that keep us going, keep us making art, keep us resisting oppression. So, Henry, how's your hope? How's your anger? I'm going to add a third emotion. Yeah? Yeah. I'm going to add... Tired. End of year tiredness. No, I'm never tired. I know. Um, I am. <laughs> um, I'm going to add sad. Yeah. Because um, we're going to play, play tribute later on, uh, but Benjamin Zephaniah passed away recently. He was a big influence of mine, and I just wanted to give him a shout-out, if that's okay, Natalie. A shout-out. A shout-out to Mr Zephaniah. I think it's called a tribute. Um I went to Benjamin Zephaniah in 2012 and he signed my little book that I've got here. It's his collection called Too Black, Too Strong. And he's put his little signature. And I feel like I must have said something like, I write poetry or something, because he put, stay on it. So I am staying on it. And the thing about Zephaniah was like, you could come at him from so many different angles. Not physically, because he also did karate, so he could probably (gasps) get you. But like he... You could come across him as a young person, as a child with his joyous children's poetry or like at a literature festival where he's been philosophical and talking about identity or through his reggae music or through his activism. But it was always like Mm. through like wit and warmth and humour and gentleness and anger. Like it always felt so genuine and so true to him. And he's just always on the right side of history, whether that's... Um, colonialism or apartheid in South Africa, Palestine, he visited Gaza. Um, He just always spoke truth to power. And if we can do even a fraction of his energy and commitment, then we'll we'll be fine. Yeah, beautifully said, Henry. How's your hope and anger, Natalie? Well, I too am going to add a third emotion. (laughs) So we've got anger, hope. Tired, grumpy, docs, sneezy. No. <laughs> I think resilient, if that's an emotion, kind of ground down but still here. It's still bloody that's, here. That's the emotion, like kind of, 
I don't think I have hope anymore. Okay. <laughs> I think I've accepted that this is our, our lot, that mm. we are living in a dark time and that that's not going anywhere. Yeah. But I, that doesn't make me feel nihilistic and doesn't make me um, want to give up either. It, 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 if anything, it just makes me want to be here, be a thorn in the side of anything that is unjust, mm-hmm. not go anywhere. Mm. It's sort of, I feel strengthened by how difficult and how openly um, unjust our world is on so many different levels. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit later on because this episode is um, another special episode that is dedicated to arts activism and the disability mm. activism movement, mm. disability rights movement. So we're really excited to share it with you. We've made this, the collection of audio that we've got for this podcast, we've been making over a few months ago, actually. Yeah. Um, but then we've had to put it on pause because, of course, we've been focusing on on Palestine recently. So please do go check out the Palestine Solidarity podcasts. But on this episode, you're going to hear from uh, visual artist, uh, performer Vince Laws. You're going to hear audio from the Lunar Tractors. And then we have an interview with curator Jill Crawshaw at the very end, with, of course, a little bit of music sprinkled in between. Yeah, absolutely. So Henry and I went across to Henry's favourite place. We did a road trip! Road trip. We went to Manchester's People History Museum. Oh my goodness, it was the first time I'd ever been. What an amazing place. This museum is dedicated to working people's history. There is not lords and ladies, kings and queens in this place. Uh -uh. Hell no! Get them out! Ban them! Yeah. Before we crack on with the episode, we just want to say this podcast references lots of disability reforms and the impact of benefit cuts, which have caused death, suicide, self-harm. There is strong ableist language, though it is used by disabled people in an ironic political context. Hour, oh, hour and 16. An hour and sixty. Yeah, sixteen. Two hours. No, hour and oh. sixteen. But I thought it'd be about an hour. An hour and sixty is a mad way of saying. <laughs> two hours. I like. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised at all. I remember. And then people... you'd be like, "Yeah, but the second hour is um, <laughs> sick," and you'd explain it somehow. I like people saying, um, "Oh, it's forty minutes past." Oh, I'm just blows <laughs> my mind. Right then. I have my seatbelt on and I'm ready for okay. podcasting. Where are we going today? We're going to my favourite place in the world. Oh, yeah. We're going to your living room to watch Poirot. You liar. We're in the car. Uh, we are going to Manchester's People's History Museum. But it's not just... Is it just the people of Manchester's museum? No, it's just, it's, it's working people, people of the UK. Of the UK. Yeah. And it's their history and it's a yeah. museum as opposed to all the museums with dinosaurs history in it. Yeah. Or n- the history of... Unless the dinosaurs form trade unions. Yeah. They're not They're, they're not, not going to look in. Yeah. <laughs> and um, is there any special reason why we're going there today? So, Other than sounds mint. <laughs> 
because um, I'm a bit sad and I like going, <laughs> like going to my um, uh, No, the reason we're going is because there is an exhibition called Nothing About Us Without Us. Which I've is, heard of that phrase before. Uh, a, a exhibition on disability activism and disability rights. And I'm well up for them. Yeah, I'm, me like, too. Disability rights and activism. <laughs> Uh, no, I was. That was me not being. Uh, I didn't want to sound like I'm not being uh, enthusiastic about disabled people having rights. I'm almost too disabled <laughs> to come to come on this trip today. That was me being weary, world weary. weary. But uh, so I'm, I'm excited, and that's weary. Yeah, is the takeaway. Yeah. Right. That really sums up the podcast, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> well, we're going to have a nice little drive over the Pennines yep. into Lancashire. Probably listen, should we listen to some Manchester bangers? We we could listen to the Vandal Factory playlist. Yep. Okay. <laughs> and where where would I find that if I was looking for it, Henry? Spotify, Natalie. Okay. If you were looking for that, that's something you should do, listeners. Yeah. You should listen to our playlist. Yeah, let's listen to some Manchester bangers. The Smiths, um, Buzzcocks. Joy Division. All right, you're just showing off now. Okay. <laughs> That's the three, and there's Oasis. no other band. Oasis, all right. Who? I'll, I'll say Who? Oasis. Never God. heard of them. Oh. Right, let's get going so we can learn about people's history. Okay, see you later. Bye. See you in a bit. So here we are at uh, the People's History Museum. What an amazing building. Henry, how many times have you been here? Uh, this is my third time in uh, a couple of years. The first time we came on a stag do. Who, who organised the stag do, Henry? <laughs> um, I was the best man, so I yeah. got to pick the stag do um, and came with the lovely Dave. Um, and then the second time we came was with a couple of broadcasters called Harry and Juaria, who do a show called The Disabled Table. And we came because it was the launch of a new exhibition that was going to come upcoming called Nothing About Us Without Us. And that's where we are now. Yeah, so um, I've just walked into the room and we can see lots of images of protests, one with BSL on it or disabled people fight back equality uh, what does it say here we've got for centuries disabled people have been fighting for rights and inclusion this exhibition shows how disabled people have come together to demand to be included in society as equals with huge amounts of creativity and innovation think innovative thinking through self-organizing campaigning educating and protesting disabled people have fought to take control of their own lives. This exhibition explores the history of disabled people's activism and the ongoing battle against oppression, discrimination and injustice in their own words and images. Something I adore at a big protest, a big demonstration is when people get their huge banners out, usually part of trade union movements. Mm -hmm. And there's a huge... And textiles. Yeah, so, like, so physical, like, just you can feel the love put into them yeah. and, and, and the anger. So this huge banner that we're in front of is by Ed Hall from 2015. Um, and, and it's it says... Red and purple and white. And there is um, a sort of arch that is blue and white with the words equality across it, but then you've got people painted on it who are also holding uh, banners and placards um, that say, smash the barriers which exclude us. Society makes people disabled, not the disability. Access to work. Powerlessness equals pain. 
couldn't agree more. There's a beautiful poster for the Federation of Deaf People and it's a red star with many hands coming off it like a huge blazing sun of fingers. There's a giant disabled people against Cut's banner that does say in big bold letters nothing about us without us. Disabled People Against Cuts, the DPAC, was set up in 2010 to oppose the vicious and disproportionate impact of austerity on disabled people. It was formed by a group of disabled people after the first mass protest against austerity cuts and their impact on disabled people. There are branches all over the country and this Manchester one features the logo which is the black triangle the black upside down triangle which was used by uh, Nazis against disabled people in concentration camps. It's a circle but it's got hands holding it. So I've been sat here watching a a screen um, with an extremely moving film on it that is talking about various individuals who have died or um, taken their own life as, as a result of losing their benefits Uh, The film is called Broken Hearts for the DWP, filmed by Dolly Sen, 2022. And it's extraordinary. And all I keep thinking of is I'm not the person that should be uh, watching this film. I want to see Tory ministers watching this and watching the impact their policies have had on individuals and their families and see how you can respond to it. Like, how can a a human respond to this? And they they should be held accountable for for what they've done to so many people across this country. I think we're going to play a bit of this film. So I'm here to protest what has been a very quiet slaughter of disabled people. There have been so many deaths within the first six to 12 months of people being uh, deemed fit to work, capable to return to work, if there was ever work for people. And most of it is an utter nonsense. It's cost them over three billion in administration so far. And that's been an utter waste of the public coffers. I'm here today because there is a saying that says, all that's needed for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. And I refuse to sit back and do nothing. Too many good people are being hurt by the policies that this government has introduced. I invited the DW workers to sign off the next stopped hard publicly. They couldn't even look me in the eye. Sign off the next DWP deaths? Is it your signature that signs people's lives away? This building behind us has contributed to the suicides of more than 600 people. In one of the exhibitions, they've got a little red ball, the kind that you'd get in a ball pit that kids would play in. And this comes from 2015 when uh, Tory MPs entered the uh, Manchester Party Conference and Disabled People Against Cuts held a protest where they chucked um, little red balls at all these Tories as a, as a harmless hollow ball pro- protest, but they had to smuggle them through all these armed police stops. It does look like a clown's nose, which is probably quite suitable for Mr Johnson. Again, further banners, but it's like lighter flag material. And the words that have been written on have sort of been 
uh, stenciled, so it's quite unusual aesthetic to have the the letters are blanked out, and then you've got like black and white spray paint that have gone around the black around the outside. It's like really immediate punky graffiti. Yeah, um, chains and what else? Skulls, skulls and. That's really effective. We should have a go at doing that. Mm. It reminds me of, um, what's his face, that we had on last week? Uh, yeah, it's very much like Black Lodge um, Press, um, of like really big, thick black lines, really immediate in your face. It is it's great to sort of take, take hold of an aesthetic that's dark and death-like and away from... Um, Oh, disabled people, charity, like colourful light, mm-hmm. um, like a world, a, an aesthetic of feeling sorry for and infantilizing. Um, infantilizing, that was the word I'm looking for, yeah, and put it into a punchy, dark, twisted. This is actually the the reality that so many people are facing is is one of complete darkness and despair. And something that's often locked away in care homes or hospitals mm-hmm. behind Invisible. closed doors, and to throw this into the public sphere with with benefit stop, starved to death, so immediate is yeah. yeah it's fund it's, fit for work by Atos against the doctor's advice. Complex mental health benefit stopped, starved to death. DWP deaths make me sick. Uh, there's another video, it's Pity by Catherine Aronelio. It's a film performance. The charity that they're satirising is called Sick Bitch Crips. And it's, they're saying, pity, 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 we want your pity. Add it, come here, give us your pity. And shaking a tin. It's quite dark humour. <laughs> and it's really good. Sick, sick bitch crips oh my god <laughs> I, I also like I love like people are donating and are they just like going yep there's in, in the little collection bucket yep that's what I do today uh, yeah are they just there's a little chihuahua as well that what's the, what's the chihuahua got to do with it? is it like the almost a a, a dog a, a support oh, yeah, dog but like using the most like unuseful dog possible the disability arts uh, and performance movement emerged in the 1980s and was brought together as disabled people demands for rights grew and it played a fundamental role in disability politics and in and is inseparable from disability people's activism. That's an amazingly strong statement to say that the arts and the movement, the political movement were um, or have been inseparable. I think it's uh, so much is that representation that when you're talking about rock stars, it's them strutting around stages. When you're talking about pop stars, it's been sleek and perfect and shiny. And actually to to have throw representation in there, the tokens uh, from 1992, Mick Scarlett, Johnny Crescendo. Uh, there's also fashion models here who have prosthetic limbs you know they're playing with the shape of their bodies and being aesthetically interesting and celebrated 
the big star of them all, of course, is Ian Jury, who in 1981 released uh, Spasticus Autisticus. Um, it was a bold and direct attack on the beliefs of normality. It was banned for the use of the word spastic and deemed offensive because uh, it has the lyric, I dribble when I piddle. But it is just this bold statement of hello to you out there in normal life. I'm Spasticus Autisticus. I'm Spasticus. I'm Spasticus. I'm Spasticus Autisticus. I'm Spasticus. I'm Spasticus. I'm Spasticus Autisticus. I whittle when I piddle, cause my middle is a riddle. I'm Spasticus. I'm Spasticus. I'm Spasticus Autisticus. I'm Spasticus. I'm Spasticus. I'm Spasticus Autisticus. I'm Spasticus. I'm Spasticus. I'm Spasticus Autisticus. I dribble when I nibble and I quibble when I scribble. Hello to you out there in Normandy. You may not understand as I go past your window give me lucky looks you can read my body but you'll never read my books I'm spasticus I'm spasticus I'm spasticus artisticus I'm spasticus I'm spasticus I'm spasticus artisticus I'm spasticus I'm spasticus I'm spasticus artisticus I'm nobbled on the cobbles cause I hobble when I wobble swim Injury there. Thanks, Ian. Oh, what a fantastic... It was so lovely remembering that trip. And I'm sure that won't be the last time that Vandal Factory go <laughs> to People's History Museum. Yeah. If you would like to find out more about specifically that exhibit or what else is going on in the museum you can go to their website peoplehistorymuseum.org.uk and take a virtual tour so you can find out more about all the artists that were exhibited we just also want to mention that after we recorded this audio we found out that a transphobic group had booked a space at the people's history museum to host a meeting uh, which had caused a lot of upset and outcry 
Afterwards, the museum released a statement apologising and reiterating their mission to create a fairer world for everyone. And they reiterated their solidarity with trans and non-binary people and promised further due diligence in the future. So thank you for that. Unfortunately, disabled people are still being attacked by our Tory government and they are still having to fight for their right to be to, to exist in this world in a fair way. It's an easy scapegoat. Like, I remember the climate of anger and fear around shirkers and strivers, if you remember the old phrase that Ian Duncan Smith used to use. And it the Tories, have, they're in a crisis at the moment where they um, need an easy scapegoat and people who have to live off benefits and, and, and need support from the state are the target who are apparently lazy and all this horrible, evil, ableist language. And recently the Tories have said they'll put even more squeeze, even more tighter rules around capability assessments, which is, I, 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 can't, I can't begin to believe it can get harder. It, it, it's nothing but a transparent um, tactic of, of any kind when you have a culture of scarcity, not a culture of scarcity, a reality of scarcity for millions of people across the country. And instead of blaming the powerful, blaming the rich and the system, it's easier to find these scapegoats and they are often people who um, don't have a a loud representative voice for themselves. So it's, it's refugees, it's asylum seekers, it's trans people and it's disabled people. Um, And what's the latest DWP? um... In November, the government said that they were going to push through another £1.3 billion uh, worth of uh, cuts. (laughs) It's just... It's just... Bananas! I'm just speechless. speechless. I'm speechless. So one of the pieces we talked about in the audio was the huge banners that were called Shrouds, which were these big black texts, if you remember. And they were created by an artist called Vince Laws. And we were so struck by them that we reached out to Vince and I had a chat with him and uh, we're going to play an interview with him now. My name is Vince Laws. I am a poet, an artist and an activist. In particular, I think you wanted to talk about some shrouds that I've made protesting the DWP. Um, But I work across all sorts of different media. So I do everything from oil painting to poetry performance to, yeah, whatever. And these came out of a play I put on in 2017, 2018, which was called A Very Queer Nazi Faust. And the subtitle was The Tragic True Life and Deserved Death of a Benefit Scrounger by Himself. And it's about, uh, it's a Faust-type play. So the the lead character, John Faust, has his benefits stopped unexpectedly and goes to, uh, has a whole load of calamities happen, but basically he goes to throw himself off Norfolk's highest peak and Lucifer won't let him drown because she loves his work and she wants him to finish his poetry book. And we performed that and it kind of had a lot of humour in it and a lot of sort of bonkers, yeah, action and what have you. But uh, uh, I wanted to use it to highlight the deaths being caused by the DWP, by the implementation of basically Tory policies. And, uh, you know, there's just been a huge amount of these and 
these sort of excess deaths are in sort of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Who knows? It always seems like a ridiculous figure. So I wanted to hone down on specific individual people because then I think it makes it more understandable, more relatable. So I made these shrouds and they're, they're all on recycled bedding and they're sewn up to be about four foot by six foot, which I reckon is a burial plot. Then onto those, I spray paint using spray paints and text letters cut out of card, stencils effectively. And I, at the top, I put the person's name. And then the rest of it is information about their battle with the DWP and the circumstances of their death. And I did these using information in the public record. So from news articles, stuff like that. And I deliberately didn't use any kind of adjectives or, you know, I didn't say this was a tragedy. This was terrible. I wanted it to be very concrete, the facts and as I say, they set out a bit like concrete poems. That's how I think of them. A title, the person's name at the top, and then the text. And they're printed on these, uh, spray painted on these shrouds. And these hung across the back of the theatre space when we performed the play. And actors would come out from between them and what have you. And also, we did it in Norwich. We had so we put some of them outside the venue and coming into the venue. So yeah, we displayed them all over the place. I know you saw some in Manchester at a exhibition there. Nothing about us without us. I'm going to be honest. I don't very often go to see them because a I don't like travel. I don't enjoy travel. That's part of my anxiety and uh, yeah, my stuff going on there. And also. I mean, I've seen them, so, you know, I know that sounds a bit silly, but it it does feel a bit like that. And it was just the fact that we'd used them in this play, but when I made them, I kind of knew they were powerful. I kind of knew when I'd made one, this is a powerful piece of artwork, and I felt they deserved to be seen on their own as a series. So I've made about 25, I think. And yeah, no, I mainly I just send them off really. And it's kind of lovely thing to have them still being asked for, requested, put on exhibition. And sometimes from the exhibitors, I get feedback and they tell me, you know, what they've had written in the book or what have you. But uh, I kind of feel like that's my part of the process is having made them, sent them off and... I mean, then they're, they're, they're not joyous. There's nothing that I want particularly, you know, there's not a reason to want to be in that space, really. So when I made them, they would take two or three days. And often I would cry, to be quite frank, when I was making them, you know. I mean, I'd go from rage to tears to, yeah, just kind of getting on with it. Particular stories have resonated with me. So, I mean, I'm HIV positive and deal with depression, anxiety. And so I remember one of the people was Edward Jacques and he was, a, uh, you know, he was HIV positive and what have you. And I remember that really resonating with me and other ones I've made because uh, to keep people kind of in the public eye, as it were. So I know that Jodie Whiting, her mother, Joy 
Dove is pushing for a second inquest. So I kind of very specifically made one. In fact, she's been granted a second inquest and we're coming up very close to her getting that because the first inquest was 35 minutes. Yeah, some of the stories are just so shocking. I just feel like they need to be told, really. You know, Mark Wood, who who died and had complex mental health problems and ended up starving to death, weighing something ridiculous like five stone or something. You know, it's just uh, appalling. So, yeah, I usually, because it's spray paint, I work outside in the garden and I I get my shroud and I just get started, really. I kind of have a drawer full of letters, so that can come out and they're all ready and they've got bits of blue tack stuck on the back and stick them in place and do a couple of lines and spray paint that and move down. And that's the process. And, yeah, listening to music or just being out in the fresh air and... Uh, yeah, it's a very kind of contemplative exercise, really. Um, but by the time I've finished, I mean, part of the process is editing down. As I say, I, I kind of I work as a poet and I used to edit a magazine. So it's a matter of picking, yeah, really tightening up the text so that it says what you need it to say and nothing more, really. And uh, occasionally a bit of protest on the bottom, something, you know, rights, not justice, or when will they send, that kind of thing, you know, just depending, really. I've been protesting like 10, 12 years, and I don't think I would have started if I'd known that it was going to just carry on not getting any better for that length of time. But I, yes, I get hope or take strength from the fact that other people were there fighting before I even started. And I'm sure there will be other people coming along when I'm no longer doing it. And I I look after my own health sometimes and just have to stop doing that side of my work. And uh, yeah, I did a whole series of oil painted portraits and I called it painting myself happy and I was only allowed to do it if I had a smile on my face or wore something silly and that was a nice exercise to you know just uh, to be positive about my own mental health or for my own mental health but yeah I look at things like the Hillborough Hillsborough you know protest and how it took them like 29 years to finally get some sort of justice and you know this government can't last forever and even though at the moment the Labour Party are saying they're not going to back our cause for an independent independent inquiry into the DWP uh, I think we just will continue and it'll feel a bit like a triumph if when the Tories go but you know every government goes eventually every every dominant civilization crumbles at some point that will come about, and uh, I would love to be there to see it. But, you know, we'll we'll see. I don't think you will ever have to stop fighting, arguing. There's always going to be something to protest about, but I'm a protest artist, so I can't really complain about that. <laughs> Lovely. Well, I'll, I'll be there with you when it all crumbles, Vince. We'll see it together, and, yeah, uh, I'll... Uh... Yeah. We'll dance Marvel. in whatever rubble that they leave behind. Yeah, dance on the bones. Yes. Vince, I just have one last question for you, which is if you'd like us to play a song or any piece of music, anything that relates to the work you do or just something that has inspired you or something you've been listening to, um, 
up to you if you'd like our listeners to hear hear a track. I sent you a couple of uh, things so you could maybe play our Christmas single, which is a jingled up version of Dead People Don't Claim Eat the Rich. Uh, and then if you don't play that, then or if you do play that, I'll also go for Cindy Lauper and Time After Time. And now you're gone. No longer here. Emptiness replaces relentless fear. But fear of what? You may well ask. Of losing you? Impossible task. It was such a precious moment. It was such a precious moment. When you turned to me to say. When you turned to me to say. If I should go before you. If I should go before you. Live life like we all did. Today. Live life like we all did today. It's a foolish game, I know, to give a promise. It's a foolish game, I know, to give a promise. But if I should go If you 
I didn't realize Cindy Lauper had. Uh, Hi, Thank you so much to Vince for giving us your time. Like, please check out his work on Facebook, which is DWP Defs Make Me Sick. Incredible, striking artwork. And like Vince says in that interview, he was crying and full of rage and grief when he was creating those pieces. And I'm telling you now, you can feel, you can see that emotion in his work. And that is what smacked us in the face when we first saw it at the People's History Museum. So please check it out. So I've been thinking a bit about intersectionality over the last few months. And this idea of disability is that you can become disabled through a lack of working safety or working in really poor conditions. You can become disabled through living in poverty or through the climate crisis or living um, in a situation as a refugee or dealing with borders. There's gendered and queerphobic violence and there's warfare and there's living in the military occupations in Palestine. Well, if, you, uh, if you're taking the, the societal framework that society yeah. makes us disabled, it's not the body, yeah. it's society's barriers, then yeah. absolutely everything that you're saying, everything that prevents you from living just a safe, balanced life where your your immediate needs are or maybe a bit more than your immediate mm. needs <laughs> um bread and roses please yeah. uh, where they're met then yeah then then absolutely everyone has the potential and is in some way disabled and i think it sort of feels like all roads lead back to disability or if mm-hmm. it's a, if if you think of it as a, as a web that it all comes back to this as humans and and the way we build the world is about labor and capital and money and it means if you're not productive or you're not useful in that system um then sorry, then there's no space for you no oh my god and i mean i'm going to talk about my own experiences a little bit later on but i have chronic fatigue and pain related uh conditions and that the internalization of everything you've just said, that if you're not doing, that you're not useful, you're not worthy of mm. anything, you're not loved, then or I think it's a very basic, almost childlike thing that you will be removed from the pack. If you're not, mm. what what's the worst possible thing that a human can go through? Isolation. Mm. And to be pushed away from the pack because you're not being productive for the pack is a very primary fear and on top of that if you're in pain physically disabled because of like barriers you can't leave the house you're also literally becoming more isolated so also your primary fears are often then sort of added to with your um by the physical like the 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 community situation often Wait, Henry, you said something um, interesting before. For the first time ever. Whoa! Oh, my goodness. He's doing his own thing! 
I'm going to read a poem that I wrote in 2018. It's maybe a bit archival now because it is about Donald Trump. But for me, it is about, it's about when I went on a demonstration in London and it was no, there was no single issue there. It was a mm. sea of, of people all against this man that represented so much of what we're talking about, about who is... In, who's in, who rules, and, and yeah. everybody that I mention in the poem are like looking at, at, at outsiders mm. and and whether that was disabled activists, immigrants, women, minority groups, we've all got to work together in, in this in this in this fight, not to break in and not to get into the pack and be like you know, one of, one of the gang and just mm-hmm. go and oppress, but to like completely change the dynamics. Um, so if that's okay, Natalie, I'm going to do my own thing. Okie dokie. On the 13th of July, 2018, I attended the biggest protest of my street chanting career. A man called Donald Trump had flown over here and our government wanted to be his friend. Now, Trump himself had said a lot of things worth the outrage and his government had been locking up children at the border. Countries feel like cages. This mocking golden elevator pitching tweet tyrants policies kill. He wants to tear up the healthcare bill, selling off land for big business, social support funding withdrawals and, of course, his racist wall. On the 13th of July, the marchers were a vast spread, marching under a giant blimp balloon of baby Trump, grumpy, huffing helium overhead. A spectrum of people marched by. Dotted in pink, neatly knitted woolen hats, feminists declare, you can never touch us no matter what we wear. Muslims, people of colour, voices of the world demand an end to deportations, an end to plans for another travel ban. Under pink... Blue and white flags, the trans activists are visible. No man, no law, nor state can make their identities criminal. Their stripes flutter beside the Palestinian flag for freedom against a man who funds the fuel of military occupation. Even the young Lib Dems, pro-EU, out in yellow, fair play, they give their chance a good liberal bellow. (laughs) Anti-climate change environmentalists protect this planet so this tide of people can still exist. White and blue NHS defenders angry and all too aware the American insurance system has no love for Medicare. Tide-turning, placard-sharing, anti-racist allies, white dove lovers, CND and anti-war ralliers defy. Black-clad, masked-up anarchist anti-fascists keep out an eye for those whose agenda to make Britain great again inspired a man to scream Britain first and commit murder. Watch out for those proud, flag-waving, old-school, Thai, Trump-loving Brits who want to tie closer this special relationship. Now, this feels like my team. Now, this feels like my team, though disparate and desperate. There's nothing like an enemy to unite against. On this London protest, I have made a placard that says, Hey, police, would you cage a child? One officer laughs. No, she cries. You might be ordered to, I reply. On the 20th of March, 2003, school students walked out and blocked roads. But I just stayed in school and then I went home. They were protesting the Iraq war and it's something I regret that I was oblivious to the upcoming destruction and death. So I'm driven by anger and hope 
the anger and hope I... I'm driven by the anger and hope I didn't know back then. 2003, 2018, if not now, then when? Excellent stuff, Henry. I love having a bit of a a past poem from you. Um, I was going to say brings back great memories, but... (laughs) A, we've got <laughs> David Cameron and Jeremy Hunt are like back in the government again, so it doesn't really feel like we've moved on. I, and I, tr- Trump could become <laughs> president again very soon. So, you know, we, we haven't really moved on at all, have we? But I tell you what, I, f- I found myself in lefty millennial Groundhog Day to mm. be in the streets of London on a recent Palestine demo chanting about David Cameron. Oh. I was like, how am I... How, how, how's he back? It's so traumatic. It's genuinely like, oh God, here we go again. Alas, we need some music to keep us away from this spiral. So we're going to hear uh, from the Lunar Tractors who are from Waterford in Ireland and they describe their music as broken folk experiments. And we're going to hear from this musical duo who very kindly have recorded us an intro. Hi, we're Carly and Claire from Lunar Tractors. We make broken folk music. Um, A lot of what we do is rooted in protest, in singing into the songs, listening to the voices that maybe aren't heard so often. And uh, particularly with Unquiet Grave, our version of it, it's a song that's so close to our hearts and the theme is so close to our hearts and makes us so a cocktail of of angry and frustrated and very sad, actually, um, that it's often a very difficult song to sing. When you really need to sing something, you almost can't sing it because you you start crying and you kind of sing it enough that you can get through it without that happening as kind of processing, a way of processing it, the feeling. Um, Unquiet Grave, our version of it is about the death of one person. Um, Elaine Christian is her name. And uh, in that sense, it's kind of, you know, like a standard folk song. We we rewrote The Unquiet Grave. We took a lot of the imagery from it or the, the structure of the, the this kind of mourning by the riverside and all that kind of thing, but rewrote it to speak directly about Tory austerity policy, which resulted in the deaths of, of many thousands of people with disabilities. It's based on a different tune, our version. Obviously, The Unquiet Grave, nobody really knows what the original tune was. There are a couple of songs about accidents. Um, lost Jimmy Phelan uh, from from Newfoundland and Canada and the Blantyre Explosion from Scotland are, you know, it's a, it, that's the tune, the Blantyre Explosion, uh, which is a, an old Scottish slow air on the pipes. So that uh, that tune seemed to fit the mood that we wanted this kind of idea of an industrial scale, um, industrial scale death, basically. Which then I think in terms of the instrumentation that we use as a duo um, was using that kind of growl of the and that modulation of the analog synth, obviously quite uh, bolshy and relentless percussion and, and drums and like the tonal drums. And then um, also quite a lot of stuff that sounds like samples, perhaps, but that's bowed cymbal and reversed um, shaker sounds and things like this that were all made live. Melodica sounds. And then the melodica kind of ground. So there's kind of presences in, in the in the Yeah, it, so- it sounds quite kind of abrasive and electronic. I, I guess we were also just trying to make the sound of the water, you know, that, that dark water feeling. 
So anyway, um, we're Lunar Tractors and that is Unquiet Grave. Yeah, thanks for enjoying the music. Thanks for reaching out to us. Justice from those that call Westminster home Disabled and scared of a next work assessment May's hostile environment got too inane The pills and ten cuts on her wrists didn't kill her Elaine Christian drowned in the Holderness drain Come bring us light out of the darkness Bring us some water out of a stone Bring back a blossom that's withered and fallen Seek justice from those that call Westminster home Seek justice from those that call Westminster home Seek justice from those that call Westminster home. If you're lost, you can love and you will find me. <laughs> oh, I'm, 
I had to undercut uh, undercut myself because that is a stirring, emotional. I mean, I'm in tears here. Wow, lunar tractors! Oh my goodness! Thank you for being so articulate in both the intro, but also the song. Like it's just all there, and it's raw, and it's what protest music should be, especially folk music that's telling true stories. Yeah, and I think. The power of folk music is that it 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 changes and it evolves and it grows and it's used. It's a tool, and to take this uh, a song that's over a hundred years old that that as you know doesn't really know its origins. It's just existed. It's mm, been there. Lots of folk music is comes from an oratory tradition, doesn't it? So yeah. it's it's it was never written down, so you don't know where it comes from. Yeah, and to make it so relevant to the struggle today. Is really, really, really important. Awesome. And we have been busy bees. We've also had the absolute pleasure of watching this amazing documentary film recently that was called Is Anybody Out There? Directed and starring Ella Glendening. We were invited by Reclaim the Frame, who are putting on films that champion disabled and minority gendered artists um it was absolutely fantastic film go on put tell us about it henry so um ella is somebody with shortened limbs um with shortened legs and sometimes she uses a wheelchair um but it's about her journey to find somebody that looks like her and the the spectrum the range of people who have different sized Limbs is, you know, there's an infinite vast. vast. Um, but she's really looking for someone that has her sort Specifically of Specifically her. So she explains her condition that it's very common. Well, not very common, but it's more common for people for this to affect one leg. But for her, it's affected both. So that's why it's called Is Anybody Out There? She's looking for a body that looks like hers. And within that, the private healthcare system, especially mm. in America, has lots of language of fixing people through yes. breaking, through surgeries and... And there's so much discussion around, is that a better quality of life to go through a huge amount of surgeries when somebody's young so that when they're older, maybe they don't have to use a wheelchair or maybe Mm. they can fit into society. And Ella becomes pregnant during the course of the film and she unpacks this as as a parent And meets other parents who are also struggling with that decision to go, am I... Because often these surgeries are immensely invasive. They take away months, years of of a young person's um, childhood. So, but the argument could be that you're making, in the long term, you're making, uh, they're going to have less pain or they're going to have a better quality of life. And of course, the counter argument to that and something that Ella strongly believes is that People in these bodies are perfect. And actually, we should just make light switches a bit lower down. (laughs) (laughs) um, But Ella, what's brilliantly done, I thought, was her exploration. She doesn't set out with the intention of fighting against ableism. And but it is it it comes to her Mm. and it smacks her in the face with this um, really arrogant assumption that 
that comes from this sort of private American healthcare professional, the assumption that if you have a body that doesn't fit the norm, then you're broken and he's a genius for being, for fixing you. Mm. Um, and, but it's beautiful storytelling, incredibly moving. We talked about it for weeks afterwards. I mean, we're still talking about it. There's real depth to that film. Um, so yeah, is anybody out there by Ella Glendening? Go check it out and, and support Ella. The chat train is pulling into Nat's provocation station. Yeah, so for those of you that are listening for the first time, usually I try and write something that brings in perhaps a bit of my creative practice. But this time, maybe because it's Christmas and because we're talking about disability, I want this to be a little bit more of a free-flowing conversation because, um, as I mentioned, I struggle um and it is a struggle with chronic pain and fatigue uh, fibromyalgia and hypermobility so it didn't seem right to um sort of be talking about these issues without really being uh self-reflective on what how that's affected me i think if i could dare to compare myself to say someone in ella glendenning's shoes the ableist things that she's come across where she's described as broken and and whereas actually she feels perfectly beautiful and at ease with her body she just wants the world to be a kinder more adjustable place to allow her body to exist and I'm fully supportive of that in my case I think it's with chronic illness like if there was something that meant I didn't feel the way that I feel on a regular basis, I would, I would take that pill. <laughs> I would click that button. So, and of course, the difference is that that's my that's my choice. That's sure. my consent. There's no one, you know. So that I'm not saying that these two things are, are counterproductive. I'm just reflecting on different yeah. experiences of disability. Like we started at the top of the show, saying it affects everyone in different ways, and and I think. Hopefully, I think as a society, we're moving away from the the thought that a disabled person is a certain type of person, mm. that actually it's something that affects everyone. But um, I, I started the show when we asked about hope and anger, saying, actually, I just feel like I'm quite worn down and like resilient. I feel like a bit like a pebble <laughs> on a on a beach, like I'm just stuck there mm. and I'm sort of not going anywhere but I'm also not growing and I'm not thriving. What is really difficult is when you spend a lot of your time being sick and not living the life that you want to live, there's this feeling that like time is being stolen from you um, and that's very difficult. You don't know what kind of body you're going to wake up in or what type of pain or discomfort you're going to have to manage that day. So for me, it could be, a muscle injury or a joint dislocation or it could be a gut pain or brain fog or fizzing all over my body um it could be the processing of information or um memory difficulties um it could be 
hips, joints, shoulders. Knees and toes. Knees, knees and toes. Knees and toes. Interesting, my toes are fine. Oh. They are absolutely fine. What are you bloody complaining about uh, then? Yeah, that, I always shout out to the toes and the fingers that cause me no pain whatsoever. Um, and so you spend a huge amount of your energy anticipating that. It means you can't plan forward very much. You get into a cycle of... Um, you you can't you don't want to put things in your diary because you'll just have to cancel them, um, or getting used to being a person who cancels things and then needing to be okay with that, um, letting people down, being like trying to undo a lot of the like it is ableist to think, but I'm not a sick person. I'm not the kind of person who gets sick. I think that's like your nature, Natalie. You've grown up, and when I've you know, I, as long as I've known you, you're a doer. You're yeah. someone that wants to roll up your sleeves and crack on and do some gardening or digging or go and help people or create things. And you do that, but you also have to sometimes go, today I cannot do that. Yeah, and it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it's rubbish. Yeah. Um, and of course, then there's all the mental health side of things as well. And I think mental health and physical, they are not, they're in no way separate. They are completely um integrated and it is not as simple as oh i'm in pain so i feel sad today it's physiologically like my body is on alert down to a min- min- what's Miniscule. a molecule a molecule level yeah little level a little level like my mono- molecules are on alert because my body is working extra hard yeah. to like keep itself stuck together so it it is therefore under stress even when i'm asleep so therefore that generates all the, the hormones or the chemicals that are related to anxiety. So before I've even had a thought, before I've even woken up in the day, that's the state my body is like constantly in. And then there's times when I am extremely able and that is what people see. So constantly trying to explain to people what my reality is like and I barely even understand it myself like I don't there's part of me that doesn't believe it still Mm. that this is true there's still that voice in my head that's like you could do that have a cup of coffee and come on yeah crack on are you are you are you sure that you're trying hard enough today are you sure that you couldn't just do this but you could just do it Mm. just do it go on that voice is so loud I have to remind myself of all the time is there is often consequences like maybe sometimes I could push through that extra step past exhaustion, but then the consequences for passing through, the then fatigue that follows or the downfall, the falling off the cliff, is much worse than actually just needing to go, I'm, I need to go to bed right now and sit in a quiet dark room and be there until I can think again. Um, but was it, oh, I was talking about like explaining it to my colleagues, explaining it to people in my community, saying I've not been very well recently, again and again and again and again and again. And you're like, oh my God. I wouldn't hang up, hang up. like, I wouldn't, I don't want to be around me. I don't want to be around, like, you, Something... to not, like, develop a self-hatred because yeah. you're constantly explaining that you're not well is... Oh, it's so boring. And, and something, we talk about our disabilities really boring. Something I um, I don't know if you get this, Natalie, but somebody else said to me they're frustrated with this language of, oh, are you getting better? 
uh, what, are, you, yeah. are you feeling better? And the honest reply is, well, I'll never be, quote unquote, better. Your perception of mm. better, like I won't, it's not, it, when we talk about illness, it's not like I'll have recover. brief, brief periods of ease, mm. I think. You know, you have moments of, um, gosh, I was going to say ceasefire, if that's appropriate or not oh. appropriate, I don't know. But like a, a time, there are times when you f- do feel like I'm being attacked by my own body and there's times when that lets up and you just hope that the times when the let up happens is also the time when you need it the most. So when, oh, if, if I could just, if you could just plan that in for like Saturday afternoon when I want to go to the Palestine Solidarity protest, that would be great. Our society in general, I think, is sick. We are a sick group of people in this country and beyond. And I think that's because we've created a society that does not suit the human mind and body. We are disconnected from nature. We are disconnected from the food we eat. We have got so much false information about the the nutrients that our bodies need, the chemicals that we're surrounded by, not to mention the impact that screens have on us, that being disc- like living in separate little pods instead of living as a village and how wrong that is. The processing gazillion pieces of information before when we were evolved to like just see a mammoth every, you know, once a fortnight. But even not going that far back to mammoths, like going back pre-industrial revolution yeah like, well it's, it's a drop in the ocean like our yeah. lives are supposed to be a lot slower mm. and so i try and remind myself that it's okay if you can't keep up i don't think i'm re- i don't think i'm exaggerating when i say like the average joe whatever that is is maybe going three times faster than i feel i can go and as a someone that works in the art sector as a theater director um I sub- like so I saw a tweet today that was like fair play to all those people working pantos because they won't get a day off now until Christmas day because it's that's mm-hmm. the slog. Yeah. And there's so much of like working cracking on like having to mm-hmm. yeah like d- this is d- the business do. this is the business and if you can't keep up we need someone that's able to maybe I'm thinking more of dancers and and actors but I just yeah. wonder if you want to reflect on what you'd like to see changes in the art sector that would accommodate for someone with 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 fatigue that were in this in this in your specific context the arts are particularly disorganized i think and unruly and if you look at other sectors and if you speak to people outside of the arts they're blown away by so many things that are just super common so it's so common for me to not be told how much i'm getting paid or to have my hours and time not considered. Um, and it's then that is, that's felt by everyone who's freelance, but then it's felt more acutely if you're disabled because you carve out recovery time for every piece of action you take. So for me, it's at least double. If I'm doing a meeting, then there's the meeting recovery time. If I'm doing a workshop, then it's, it's probably like a 12, 12 to 24 hour as a minimum recovery time for that. Finding the work that will pay me properly and then having people treat you with enough respect to honour your time, 
not take advantage of your time, to contract you properly, to give you clear boundaries of what your job is and communicate that effectively with you, to have effective boundaries around how they communicate with you. Are they going to communicate on email, on voicemail, on WhatsApp, like not messaging you at 11 o'clock? All this kind of, there's just poor culture and around. It is, it is so common across the oh, sector. Oh, it's just like normal. Um, and, and yeah, the arts in general, and I'll hold my hands up, like I'm probably quite guilty of, of that because well, we have to juggle between the email and the social media, but... I thought you were just going to say put more lifts in buildings. Yeah, I think I'm just trying to, in this part, I'm talking about my experience. And and so I'm trying to reflect on that as a sick person. Of course, we absolutely need more lifts in buildings, ramps. I mean, it's it's just so boring to say it. It's disgusting that it isn't just absolutely Mm. automatic. I think actually everything that I'm asking, I'm talking about in terms of working practices are stuff that a union would go, this is absolutely what should be happening anyway. Any any person benefits from these things. I'm just talking to when you are chronically ill, you feel those things more acutely. Yeah. Thank you so much, Natalie, for just raw honesty. But hey, I don't expect anything less of you than just... Telling it like it is. Raw honesty. Raw. That's the <laughs> third time we mentioned dinosaurs. Yep. We've got one last feature, which is we're going to hear from Jill Crawshaw. Jill is an activist and curator of disability arts. Her exhibitions she's curated Possible All Along, Piss on Pity, Shoddy, The Reality of Small Differences and the current exhibition, Any Work That Wanted Doing. Yeah, so in Any Work That Wanted Doing, so there's eight eight new artworks that have been made by disabled artists Mm. um, in West Yorkshire, any of them from Leeds. And some of those pieces do bring in contemporary issues and I'm particularly thinking of a very, very detailed piece by Becky Moore working with Becky Cherryman. Becky Moore being a textile artist and Becky Cherryman being a poet. So this is like a very large wall hanging which almost one half of it is is a poem that's been created. The other half is patchwork. We're just talking about patchwork. Um, a patchwork quilt that covers it and, and goes to the bottom. Um, and within that those patches there are archival photos and there's quotes from people from the past but there's also contemporary quotes in there about disability at work from people's own experiences um so that's a really really interesting piece there's a lot in it and you can see that at Leeds Industrial Museum along with the other work and that exhibition any work that wanted doing is on till um January next year so there's plenty of time to get over to see it that's our next weekend plan sorted (laughs) then thank you very much (laughs) she has a book coming out called uh rights not charity protest textiles and disability activism and uh also led a workshop at the manchester people's history museum on the fabric of protest please tell us where did your your interest in activism disability textiles where did that all begin Uh, i'll try not to go into such a long story i i'm Yeah, I came to Leeds years ago um, 
to university to do textile design. So that was a, a one start. At that point, it was while I was at university, I became disabled. Um, later on, I got, got involved in the disabled people's movement and I was a local contact for DAM, the Disabled People's Direct Action Network in the mm. um, throughout much of the 90s. So DAM um, was a group that used to typically... Um, block traffic, handcuff ourselves to buses and trains. We had a real focus on um, accessible public transport pre the Disability Discrimination Act, pre the Equality Act. I got involved in curating an exhibition, which itself was a form of protest. Mm -hmm. And that was the one um, that you mentioned, the reality of small differences. And that was protesting about Grace and Perry, uh, exhibition of work by Grace and Perry being put in a venue in Leeds that wasn't accessible to everybody. So rather than doing a picket or, you know, I the idea of let's do a counter exhibition to that and that work in that exhibition was textile work by disabled artists from Yorkshire so this was starting to bring textiles mm. and activism together I suppose that was a few years ago that went down so well it was a, it became um, an event in its own right as well as being an effective protest as it happened it certainly got the issue raised um, it was in the media also, you know, the museum in question installed a stair climber because there was a small flight of stairs up to one of the rooms where some of the work, where some of Grayson Perry's work was being shown. But as I say, it was it was a really great exhibition, mm. actually, and got me in touch with, put me in touch with lots of artists around the region that I didn't know. A lot of those artists and people who come to see the exhibition said, when are you going to do another one? This was great. <laughs> If there were artists, we don't get enough opportunities to do this. We want more opportunities to show our work. They haven't all used textiles, but, you know, it, it seemed... Well, when I, I organised Shoddy, that's when I started thinking about issues around textiles and disabled people particularly. Um, I was just thinking around the topic, really, and... It turned out there was quite a lot to think about. There were all mm. sorts of things, all sorts of connections. And, you know, that's, uh, yeah, that comes up in the in the book, Rights Not Charity, that you mentioned, that's going to be published by Common Threads Press later this month. Um, and it comes up in terms of thinking about the textile industry. But, of course, it comes up in terms of contemporary art as well, a lot of contemporary artists using textiles. And most of my projects have been about working with disabled artists and about raising issues to do with disabled people's lives. So generally, you know, I, if I want to call myself a curator, I'd say I'm a curator who's informed by experience of activism um, and with this interest in textiles sometimes. Um, yeah, I've got an agenda when mm. I'm curating. I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm not just curating for the sake of it. I do have an agenda and that is is to raise issues and get people thinking and talking about disabled people's lives a bit more. I'm very, very excited to uh, read this booklet, Common Threads. Um, so you've sort of started to introduce us a little bit as to how that, that seemed to have come about, seemed, ho-ho. <laughs> um, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about, about what... Yeah. I mean, that's that's, you know, very clearly about politics and activism because it's about banners of the disabled people's movement mm -hmm. so as I say thinking around issues to do with textiles and obviously all sorts of social movements and social justice movements use banners but 
that includes the disabled people's movement and we've had some good ones mm. and I'm not going to say it all because you won't want to read the book if I, <laughs> I tell you everything that's in it but, but I was just thinking about yeah that there have been some really good ones it's interesting because you know textiles using textiles can be something that's quite accessible for disabled people accessible for a lot of people for sure mm. but accessible for disabled people and thinking about yeah, just disabled people in protest and how that oftentimes, anyway, you know, people don't expect disabled people to be out on the streets and to be protesting. Mm. Um, so, you know, we're sort of challenging a few stereotypes and, yeah, yeah, yeah making and people think twice about what disabled people want, um, yeah, what disabled people are capable of. What, what Hen as we mentioned, Henry and I have just come back from Manchester's People's... Why do I always get that wrong? Manchester's People's Working the history. People history. The People History Museum. Um, I, and, and we're talking, thinking uh, in front of these glorious banners that have been made and curated in that exhibition there. And we were talking about how, um, <laughs> sounds obvious, but the textiles are tactile and visual and colourful and bold and um, you can use words but there's also an awful lot of imagery that seems like it's another way of staking a claim for a disabled person who's often made invisible or, or is, is not that their uh, needs are not being thought of and they're being excluded. It's a way of becoming extra visible really when you're doing space. a protest. Yeah. yeah. And also in terms of disabled people, you know, then textiles has been used in institutions for disabled people to keep people quiet, to keep people busy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in the past, whether that's been in, in asylums and workhouses right. um, and, you know, needlework to keep particularly women there quiet, um, something to get on with, something to do. Also, sometimes those institutions would sell that work, so make money out of it as well. We were in quite a jolly mood uh, going like on a romp to Manchester and I'd not been to the, I'm going to say it wrong again, the, the People's History Museum. Um, and, and then we went into the, uh, the exhibition and it really took the wind out of our sails when suddenly you reminded that you're dealing with here, not just, uh, you know, a to the barricades kind of justice um, movement, be like, oh, no, people have been dying and this is to prevent, this is artwork that's about people unnecessarily dying. It, it's just so unromantic. And I think sometimes we can get swept up in a bit of romantic to the barricades. And I think you, ha you have to, because yeah. you've got to keep going, haven't you? It's yeah, gotta, you've got yeah, to have yeah. a laugh in your life. Yeah. But um, yes. it was... A, uh, it's, it, and that um, anger in yeah. that artwork yeah. really comes across yeah. in a way that, as you were saying before, takes the disability art in an occupational, cosy setting that sort of infantilized and pastoralized takes it well and truly out of that setting says this is dark this is punk this is anger yes um 
I mean, which originally, disability art, I think, means all sorts of things to all people. I mean, originally, disability art was like the creative wing of the disabled mm. people's movement and was political. That's what it was. And, yeah. you know, and people defined it as art made by disabled people that reflected that experience of being a, a disabled person. And a lot of it was overtly political. And, you know, there's been a shift and I think there's some good in that, you know, that that. that that definition for many people has broadened and it means, you know, and some people would say any art that's made by a disabled person in some way reflects their experience and so therefore is disability art. Um, what I wouldn't call disability art is, is you know, that occupational therapy that's that's mm. led by non-disabled people that's given to... People often make... Disabled people often make something of mm. that for themselves. Um but yes, it's a, it's a whole different thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Was it in Wakefield that people were walking past those the shrouds? Oh, right. Yes, yes, um, yes, yes. Because they're you know they're very immediate, aren't they? And they're very accessible, and they're very you know clearly people can see what those are and and mm. and connect with them. So yes, I, I was you know, really pleased to be able to show those in an exhibition a few years ago. It was called Piss on Pity. Um, mm. It was about disabled people's ambivalent relationship to charity, I suppose. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, Piss on Pity, we had some of Vince's shrouds up there. So they were, you know, very prominent. in it, And the exhibition was in an empty shop unit in Wakefield. So, so many people you know, would pass by, do a bit of a double take, come in, what's this, you know, and, and so many people had their own stories of dealing with the DWP, of the difficulties of, of trying to get the benefits that they needed to support them and give yeah. them dignity and just ability to live their lives, you know. And it is, um, it's yeah, exactly so that. Um, we, were, we were talking about it today about... Uh, the NHS and the state the NHS is in at the moment and I think it's similar where they are such um, issues that are often dealt with like behind closed doors that are in families that are already struggling that are, people are feeling isolated and then as soon as you have someone an artist which is what artists are best at speak out then it suddenly everyone goes oh my that was my experience that was my neighbor's experience that was my auntie's experience and it 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 opens those floodgates for going hang on we're all experiencing this up and down the country mm. um and i i think if <laughs> it's how it's going to happen with the nhs where like yeah. i've i've had a my second death in the family that we feel was a preventable death today uh, that's been because of lack of care um, and just because the hospitals are not functioning as exactly, hospitals. because they're not funded. They're, they're not funded. Properly, and, yes. And, and not... so people are dying and have been dying in our hospitals and, and in our, uh, yeah. you know, so-called yeah. social care system. And it's another one that when it's grief and it's personal, you don't want, it's not your instinct to then turn that into something political mm. necessarily. Um, you know, maybe it's not your story or maybe, it, you know, you're being careful of family and friends and things like that. Um, but as soon, it's it's got to happen sooner or later, that these tidal waves, like yes. how bad yes. does it need to get yes. for people to go, enough is enough. Yeah. I mean, having said that, I'm sure you feel, I certainly feel like I've been saying that for decades. I'm yeah, sure you're, yeah, yeah. you feel like you've been saying it for decades and decades. Well, um, like how bad yeah. does it need to get? 
for everyone to just say yeah. enough is enough. Yes. You wonder, don't you? Yeah. But you're right. I mean, that's the power of art, isn't it? To bring yeah. some of that to attention and to, yeah, speak for people. Mm. Yeah. I think yeah. Op- open the floodgates yeah. and make the private public. Yeah. Well, folks, it's time to say goodbye. We've got presents to wrap and trees to decorate and Father Mm. Christmas is on his merry way for this final episode of 2023. I just want to give a few shout outs. Firstly, I mentioned The Disabled Table earlier, which is another show on East Leeds Community Radio. Um, Especially, I think, to episode 13, we chat to Faye Kesby, who's a poet. And I think a lot of stuff that you talk about, Natalie, about... Kate, uh, Faye talks about grieving for something that you've you've lost, like things have changed. So that I just wanted to shout out that episode. But of course, Vandal Factory have covered these conversations on episode 12, where we talked to Rachel and Natalie, a couple of poets, and also a factory floor cut with Keith Saha, who is the artistic director of 20 Stories High. So we always like to end on a bit of a banger. In fact, this is my banger of the hour. Every single song you own is a banger. It's time for Nat's banger of the hour. Bangers. Is it a banger? We would like to pay tribute to the magnificent, honourable, wonderful man that was Benjamin Zephaniah. Rest in power, rest in peace. This is Revolutionary Minds by Benjamin Zephaniah. Revolutionary minds don't give a damn when the people on the top just drop. Revolutionary minds don't give a damn when their palaces get unstable. Revolutionary minds don't give a damn about the name that is on the label. Revolutionary minds don't give a damn Revolutionary minds don't care About their non-heroes and celebrities Who are leading followers nowhere Revolutionary minds don't give a damn About their one-sided history Revolutionary minds don't give a damn The revolution will set us free I know no say better must come Property. When revolution come, come on, come on, come on. And no one shall be judged by the color of their skin. When revolution come, come on, come on, come on. The elders shall live in dignity. When revolution come, come on, come on, come on. And we will control the lives we are living. When revolution come, come on, come on, come on. As soon as you say. 
problem is civil disobedience. That is not our problem. Our problem is civil obedience. Our problem is the numbers of people all over the world who have obeyed the dictates of the leaders of their government and have gone to war. And millions have been killed because of this obedience. We recognize this for Nazi Germany. We know that the problem there was obedience, that the people obeyed Hitler. People obeyed. That was wrong. They should have challenged and they should have resisted. Revolutionary minds don't give a damn when a baby in the palace is born. Revolutionary minds don't give a damn when the baby in the palace is won. Revolutionary minds don't give a damn about who gets on this year's witch list. Revolutionary minds don't give a damn. Revolutionaries raise their fists. Revolutionary minds are minds that think outside the box. You see, revolutionary minds are minds of vision. Revolutionaries knows what's possible. Revolutionary minds don't give a damn. Them a virtual revolution dawn. Revolutionary minds are rebellious. Revolutionary tongues say guan. Revolutionary minds don't give a damn about their fashion and their high street sales. Revolutionary hands are working till revolutionary stuff prevails. Women shall not be property. When revolution come, come on, come on. And no one shall be judged by the color of their skin. When come, come on, come on, come on. The elders shall live in dignity. When come, come on, come on, come on. And we will control the lives we are living. Revolutionary minds don't give a damn. Them no what, no OBE. Revolutionary minds will give a damn when the people of the world are free. 